three, two, one. Hello and welcome to another edition of A Humanistic Perspective. As always, I am one of your two hosts, Chad Castilla, and I'm joined with Chris Gatos. And today we have a very special guest, like we talked about on an episode a couple weeks ago. Yeah, our last Chris, episode. Yeah. yeah, our last episode. Chris actually met Reed while on a camping excursion. Yes. And today I have the fortunate privilege of introducing Reed. Reed, if you want to maybe introduce yourself, give us a slight little background, and then uh, let's maybe go back to the start. All right. Sounds good. Uh, yeah, my name's Reed. I'm 44 years old. And... Um, recently divorced i'm sure that'll come up in my my history uh, that we talk about and uh i have two kids wonderful little children uh three and four years old a boy and a girl and uh they are my sun my moon and my stars um yeah so just a lot happening within the last year and a lot happening over the last 44 years <laughs> sure so, entirely and uh, yeah. what do you if you don't mind me asking what do you do uh professionally what do- well right now i'm in between jobs uh, my last job title was manufacturing engineer, and the the next job I just accepted an offer last week, uh, mm-hmm. starting on June fourteenth. I'll be an automation engineer, working mm-hmm. with a lot, a lot of um, industrial controls um, for electrical systems and uh, probably some pneumatics as well, some sure. compressed air. Now, is your your formal training in engineering or? Uh, I, I, going back quite a few years, I graduated in 2000 with my bachelor's uh, in something called industrial technology management. And that was a blend of technical classes as well as management and business classes. Mm. Um, the gear is more towards probably management supervisory with a technical background. A lot of people that would graduate with that degree would oftentimes go into maybe an industrial engineer position on a technical side or manufacturing engineering. Um, the degree itself is not heavy in math and physics, like an actual engineering degree. Got it. Okay. Um, but you know, once you, once you put a lot of time into your career in industry, you know, you learn an awful lot on the job. So yes, on the job training, very much, um, technical from an engineering side, um, but schooling, not quite an engineer. So, <laughs> sure, sure. so yeah. Uh, where, where does the, uh, story for Reed begin? Where, where'd you grow up? What was that life like? Well, I grew up in Hubertus, Wisconsin, and that is probably, I would consider it suburb slash rural. Okay. Call it suburural, maybe. Um, What major city is it? Are you near like Green Bay, Madison? Where, whereabouts? I'm near Milwaukee. Okay. Um, And Milwaukee blends into other cities. So there's, there's Milwaukee, then there's uh, heading north. On, high, on Interstate 41, it's now Interstate 41. Um, you'll pass through, you go through Milwaukee, then you'll go through Menominee Falls, then you go through Germantown. And after Germantown, it kind of gets a little more rural, but there's still right. subdivisions out there. So that that's the area that I grew up in. A lot of farm fields, mm-hmm. um, just uh, small neighborhoods here and there. And now, did you so, go to public school at the time or yeah. private school? or All public, all public. Uh, K through 12 was all public. Um, and even my, my undergraduate was at uh, a publicly funded college, UW uh, Platteville. What were you like as a kid? Were you, did you have hobbies? Like, how did you, did you know you wanted to do engineering when you were younger? Did you follow down that track? Like what, what, I guess sort of was some interest or, or sort of sparked that path for you? Sure. That's a good question. Um, I always like to see how things work. Mm. Um, I loved Legos. I liked putting them together. Yes. Um, 
I like the, the structure of it, the step-by-step -step instructions, following those. I, uh, as I grew up, I, I always wanted to find out how things worked. I would, uh, I watched MacGyver. I liked <laughs> all the things he did. Oh, After yeah. I'd watch an episode of MacGyver, I'd go in my parents' basement in my dad's work area with his workbench. And I'd like set up little, you know, something would tip over and then knock this over and then, you know, I'd swing a pendulum and hit that. And, you know, I, oh, I like that cool. kind of stuff. Cool. Yeah. So I do that kind of, those kinds of things. I like to pick apart. I remember my dad had this old alarm clock and I kind of broke it apart and was looking at everything inside, you know, the transistors and the resistors, capacitors, all that stuff. I had no idea what any of that stuff did, but I was always interested in what it did and how it worked. Um, I didn't really consider a technical field for my, for my, you know, my career. Um, mm. I was uh, very good in music, played alto saxophone for many years. Hey, I also played saxophone. You did, yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. How long I, did you play? I, I you played play? 10. Yeah. I still do play actually. I, I only play for myself now. I've, I no do not play in public, but I play tenor sax. Mm -hmm. Nice. That's a, that's a good instrument, man. It's got such a nice tone. It really does. Um, that's so cool. Lends itself to a lot of genres. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Definitely. That's how Chad and I met. We met in band. Yeah. yeah. I played no kidding. Yeah. <laughs> nice. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, uh, all of, most of my very good friends right now are from high school and I was in band with them at one time or another. No oh. kidding. So, yeah. It, it's, you know, it's such a wonderful way to get to know people, um, you know, and, and play together, making music together. It's a group activity. It's a team effort. Uh, yeah, so it's just, I have a lot of great memories. Now, I was called band nerd quite a bit. Uh, was a <laughs> I was going to ask, school. did you have a big school? What Were you in a crowd? Did, was it clicks like that? Was that was that a thing at your Yeah, school? Yeah, there were um, a lot of different clicks. Um, you know, you had your popular crowd. You had your your guys that, you know, and, and, and girls that smoked and, you know, they partied a lot. Mm -hmm. um, had the longer hair. Uh, some were just, you know, in band. Some were very to themselves, not very outgoing. Uh, yeah, just, just all kinds of different cliques. Um, I went to a high school that I believe our graduating class was around 480 people. So it was, you know, it wasn't huge, but it wasn't a tiny little, you know, school either. Sure. Uh, there were a lot of feeder schools into it. Um, yeah, but uh, on that trip, anyways, you, I, or sorry, yeah, when we ran into you onto the trip, you, you were out there camping and you said you were actually on this excursion alone. Was that a part of your life when you were younger? Were you a Boy Scout or something? Did you go camping a lot with your, your parents or? I did camp with my parents quite a bit. Uh, they had, when I was born, I think they had a little pop-up camper. And I remember it was old, it was green, it was canvas and it smelled um, <laughs> kind of musty. Yeah, um, I know the thing from I all think the they, rain building up in it and stuff. Yeah, they had bought it used. Um, <laughs> and then from there, uh, they bought another pop-up that was, uh, if it wasn't brand new, it was newer. It wasn't, you know, it didn't smell musty or anything like that. It was a nice little pop-up. Um, then after some years with that, uh, they sold that and bought a mini motorhome, a used mini motorhome, like uh, okay. kind of looked like a Winnebago with a bed over the top of the cab. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah I can, I can picture that. Yeah. You got a bathroom, um, you know, the toilet, the sink. We didn't use the shower at all. That was mostly storage. Did you guys go? Uh, all yeah. The you know, US or did, you go did you go all over the U.S. or did you guys stay local or? Mostly Wisconsin. We did take a trip to Tennessee at one point. Okay. That was a good trip. It was really cool. Um, went out to um, Valley Forge. Is it Valley Forge? No. Um, La Forge. I can't think. I can't think of what it was. It was a town in Tennessee. Um, couple of them one was one has become very touristy i can't remember what it's called but there's all kinds of it's like the wisconsin dells 
I guess. Oh, um, but the other one was, was very uh, rustic and they had like a, a settlement set up there of what you might experience on a homestead, things like that. So that's pretty cool. But uh, yeah, mostly, mostly Wisconsin, mostly Wisconsin. Then they, my parents actually bought a bigger motor home later on, like a full size. It looks like a small bus nice. um, and they still camp um, all through this time. I like tent camping. Sure. Yeah. Uh, I did a lot of camping with friends on holiday weekends. Um, I did take a trip to the Boundary Waters uh, when I was in my 20s. What led you and there? Th- what's that? What led you there? Um, well, you know, I just like camping a lot and I like fishing. And I had heard a story from one of my middle school teachers about going up there and, and he really enjoyed it. And we had talked about it when I was a member of a church when I was younger. Uh, the youth group, we talked about going up to the Boundary Waters. That was a, that would have been a cool experience. Um, and I had three other friends. One was pretty athletic. Uh, the other was sort of a, sort of an alternative guy. He liked, he liked the woods. He liked to, he liked to fish too. Um, but those three smoked an awful lot of marijuana and mm. uh, they wanted to go up, you know, and experience nature. Um, I, I did not smoke marijuana and, uh, but, and I wanted to go too. They were my friends and I wanted to go up there too. I thought it'd be cool. So I think we went for like five days, four days, four nights and five days, or it was, it was five nights and six days, something like that. Um, that was a cool experience. Wow. So, what yeah. What was the catching? Like, how was the fishing? It was awful. Really? I, we didn't catch anything. Uh, wow. we late in the year, I think it was October, right at the end of the season. Oh, sure. Mm-hmm. In fact, the, the outfitters weren't really sending anybody out after us uh, as far as like, any, but not after us, like we were lost, but after they, they uh, outfitted us and sent us off, they didn't have any more customers scheduled. Um, Holy cow. Because, you know, if winter hit snowfall and everything, well, people are out there camping in tents, you know, that, that could get pretty ugly. Yeah. Um, But, uh, but yeah, we didn't catch anything, but there were no bugs, which was fine with me. Oh, sure. So let's go back towards um, schooling. So you're finishing high school. You're heading off to college next. You you stayed local, right? You said for, for- yeah, I stayed in Wisconsin. Uh, I started at Stevens Point. Um, okay. And I the reason I started talking about saxophone was I I, I studied music. I was a music major, music education, uh, for the first oh, year. Nice. Yeah. So I I enjoyed the saxophone. I played in a lot of different um, scenarios. I played in marching band and jazz band and uh, in the, the main bands all through uh, grade school, middle school, and high school. You know, it seemed like a natural evolution for me, but it wasn't something I was super passionate about. Mm. Um, by the end of the first semester, I was like, I don't really want to do this anymore. Um, so I switched to English education because I liked, I like writing. I like reading and research. And uh, so I tried that for a year and a half. I still wasn't down with that. Um, and what led me to the technical side of things was uh, I was working at a plastic injection molding company. Okay. Um, from the summer after my senior year of high school up until I, I, ma- I ultimately made this decision. And uh, I told my parents I just wasn't interested in, in English or anything like that. And they said, well, what are you interested in? I said, I really like what's going on around me. I was just a machine operator. Mm-hmm. Um, but I liked everything that was going on around me. And they mentioned the lady that owned the company. Uh, she was very heavily involved with uh, University of wisconsin Platteville. And they had a program there for plastics technology. So I got interested, took a tour, and I was sold. Wow. Um, I transferred from Stevens Point to Platteville. 
took me and three more years year, to graduate. What year is this? What year? Did uh, you the year graduate? that I transferred. See, I graduated in '95 from high school. I transferred uh, for the fall of '97. Um, that's when I started Platteville, and I graduated in May of 2000. Nice. Yeah. So, so you, you did you stay in plastic molding when you got there, or? Yeah, when I when I went to Platteville, I did the plastics mold, uh, plastics processing technologies with the industrial technology major, um, and I did two internships at this plastics company. Uh, my first senior year and my second senior year, because it was the five year plan for me. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like a lot of people, and uh, they offered me a job, so I took it. Uh, at that same place. And I worked there for six years as a manufacturing engineer. And I got a lot of experience in different things. What's What's your personal relationship with plastics? What would you say is unique about them? What would you say you hate about them? I feel like you've probably had a pretty intimate relationship with plastics. Yeah, I, you know, they're really cool. You can form them in almost any way you want. You know, there are some constraints. Hmm. Uh, not so much with 3D printing, but there are, there are limitations to that as well. Um, strength. Um, the, the quality of, of, you know, getting the plastic all formed together um, and cured together. But uh, with a molding, really the sky's the limit. Um, mm. There's a lot of complex geometries you can do and you can just make it up. And, and it's really just, you know, the tool gets built and you're just filling it with plastic and all part pops apart when it cools down for the thermoplastics. Um, you know, for the, the thermal sets, which is another kind of, of polymer, that's more of a reaction, um, a chemical reaction, where you have a catalyst and a, uh, what do you call it, a base resin. Mm -hmm. And the catalyst initiates a reaction that causes uh, molecularization of, of the polymer to actually have uh, one continuous molecule um, because it's all linked together on, on a, uh, you know, an atomic structure, basically. And that's a lot stronger. Um, it's, it, that's what those early ashtrays were made out of Bakelite. Um, yeah, it has yeah. a much higher uh, degradation, decomposition, wow. temperature uh, point, And, um, you know, there are limitations to that too. What I don't yeah. like about plastics is how much waste there is. Mm -hmm. you know, there is just so much waste. Um, in the process so that's, of creating something? Well, in the process of creating it and also, you know, the output into the consumer and business and, and industrial market. You know, there's a lot of waste from that. Uh, people don't do a very good job all over the world um, of, of containing it and recycling it. And, mm. um, and yeah, you know, it's just, it's everywhere in the ocean and landfills on the sides of roads. Yeah. The Pacific uh, patch. In the ocean. It's just, yeah. Yeah. That's, it's pretty scary stuff, especially when it starts showing up in, in organisms uh, on a very okay. small level. And when larger organisms, you know, uh, basically live off those smaller organisms and you get this concentration that builds up into the, the, the bigger predators uh, of the ocean and even on land of this, this concentration of plastic and other, other wastes. It's could you talk to the anyways, uh, could you talk to the process that occurs with microplastics when the sun hits it and they break down? Like how, what, what is occurring and why does that happen? You know, I can't explain it on a chemical molecular level, but, you know, the UV rays really break plastics down and just basic weathering. Mm. Um, some plastics will have what's called a plasticizer, which makes them very flexible, uh, like vinyl. Like uh, vinyl shoes have a plasticizer in them. That's uh, polyvinyl chloride. And 
like PVC pipes are very rigid, but when you add a plasticizer to them, they're very flexible. Uh, over time, plasticizers will migrate out, uh, permeate out of it, and um, basically either evaporate or you know go wherever they go. And then the plastic becomes very brittle and it starts to, to kind of break down over time if it doesn't have something to stabilize it. So that could be happening. Also, the UV rays will break down, you know, the bonds of the plastic. Um, and that just, you know, you've seen plastic that's weathered and, you know, it's got that brittle feeling to it. Yep. Uh, that's, you know, from, a, from a, a high viewpoint, that's basically what's happening to a lot of it. And just, you know, if it's in the ocean, it's banging around in things, rubbing against each other. You know, that wears it down too. Sure. I wanted to ask, you You mentioned briefly um, 3D printing machines and this type of technology. So when you get out of college in the 2000s, what are you working with machine-wise? And could you maybe talk to where that has gone now with even consumers having the ability to have a 3D printer in our own home? Do you think our technology is way more mm -hmm. advanced? Is it stuff you've been seeing since the early 2000s? Where, where do you sort of see that at? Well, uh, coming out of college... I don't know if there was 3D printing. If it was, it was in its infancy. Mm. You know, it was probably more research and development, I, I think. I don't remember talking about a lot in, in my classes. Um, but I do believe there are some companies doing it. Um, one of the big names uh, that I remember was Protomold. Uh, they were a prototyping company. And they would, um, they could do 3D printing. Uh, it was very, very basic, I think. Um, mm. It wasn't for anything structurally and have any real structural integrity to it. Um, it was more just a prototype thing. So you get a feel of it, look at it, see any where there might be any issues, uh, maybe do a little bit of testing for uh, maybe form, how things look together or, or made together a little bit. But um, most of what I saw was tool and die tooling um, based off of CAD models, CAD drawings. And, and then the tool would be built. And we were a custom injection molding house where we had, I think maybe 16 injection molding machines, giant presses. Some are small, some are very big, as big as a bus. Some are smaller than a- Wow. Oh, geez. Probably a little bit bigger than a, 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 um, like a motorcycle size, like a nice you know, Harley Davidson motorcycle, dresser bike. Um, but the- uh, we had a lot of different molds to mold a lot of different parts. There were a lot of changeovers. We'd run a, maybe a small number of parts for one customer, pull that tool out, clean the plastic out of the machine, load a different plastic into it, put a different tool into the press, and then mold a different part. Um, we did that a lot. Um, so that was mostly what I saw as far as molding plastics. Now, there's other processes, thermal forming, um, pressure molding, things like that, extrusion. Um, but my, most of my experience was in injection molding. Um, moving onward through time, I mean, yeah, different materials, um, different engineered resins. There's, there's your, um, what are they called now? There's engineered resins and then the name slips my mind right now. But the lower cost plastics, the general materials, uh, like what your milk jugs are made out of, that kind of stuff. Um, going into the more engineered materials, uh, chemists coming up with, with better properties for certain applications, that, that's, that was exciting, seeing a lot of that come out. Um, Could you talk more detail about that period of time? Well, you know, when I was in school, 
they were looking at impregnating plastic with wood, wood filler and making like deck boards out of it. And that was exciting, you know, because you see that now. Right? People's decks are made out of plastic and it's actually got some wood in it. Um, sort of give it that texture and feel. Um, they were talking about growing plastics in, in potatoes. Um, things like that. That was very exciting. Um, a lot of the, you know, being able to recycle things. What's interesting, you know, you hear about styrofoam. Mm. Um, nobody recycles it. You know, it can't be recycled. Everybody throws it out. Uh, it can be recycled. It's just not economical. Um, it costs okay. a lot to recycle it. That's why they throw it away. It doesn't make sense to uh, recycle it, I believe. Just the, the processing. So I believe that's the, the case. Well, it's foamed. And uh, I, I, I believe it, it, it's polystyrene, which you can recycle. But the fact that they, they put a foaming agent in it, I believe that's the part that makes it very difficult to recycle it. Um, so, you know how it's, it's insulating. It's, it's sort of puffy, for lack of a better term. You can compress it. And it goes back to shape. Those little air pockets in it that allow it for insulation properties. Anyways, just, you know, off the wall things like that were very exciting. Did you ever make any um, projects for yourself? Because you said you were doing custom molding injection there. Yeah, the custom part about it was, um, it was, wait, why is it called custom injection molding? That's a really good question. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't do any tooling. Uh, to build a small tool for something, I, I mean, it could be $10,000. Some tools cost half a million dollars, wow. uh, depending upon the complexity and what they're doing and the equipment they're running in. So it was not, that was nothing I did. Um, I did a lot of projects at home, uh, just off the wall stuff. I like to tinker, um, not necessarily with plastics, different materials. I got into like hobby control boards, microcontrollers, stuff like that. What do you do um, just, with your just things like that? I like to tinker, but oh, I program. Here's a funny story. Uh, there's a lady that I work with, and she was a part of this fundraiser and they had different tables and their tables had to have a movie theme and they chose the Titanic. And she had a big, big, large model, wood model of a Titanic, of a ship that looked like a Titanic. And she asked me what I could do with it. So um, I, I took the ship and if the ship's sitting like this, I, I put a little rod through two eye eyelets and two little wooden posts and I, I slid it through there and I put the ship on it but I put it off center so it leaned one way and then I put a motor underneath the, the end that was leaning down and I drilled a shaft to put on that motor that had an offset center so as it turned you know it kind of had this motion and as it turned it was kind of a roller it would make the ship do this like it looked like it was floating Whoa. in the ocean wow. and uh, I went I went so far as to uh, purchase a, a uh, little soundboard. You could put, um, I think it was an SD RAM card in there that had a certain file type loaded on it. And you could, I used a little controller to output just discrete on and off signals that would tell this board what song to play. And I had downloaded sound bites from the movie Titanic with Leonardo DiCaprio. <laughs> Yeah. So I think I think one of them was I'm king of the world, you know, and uh, I downloaded some boat sounds, you know, Hong Kong, you know, the, the horn yeah. on the boat, some seagulls in the background. So I would have this boat waving like this and this music playing, you know, based off these timers in this controller. 
Um, I also put some blue and white blended fabric around it to look like water. So that was her, that was her prop for her table. And I don't That's know if they won the best one, but one of the ladies there liked it so much. She just wanted the ship. She didn't want all the noise with it, you know, but um, yeah, I set it up. So there was a timer. So the motor would turn on every once in a while and rock the boat. Wow. Wow. That's nice. Yeah. So just stuff like that, just little hobby projects, having fun with it. So do you yeah. like, if something breaks around the house, do you try and come up with a unique solution to solve it? Or are you like, I'll go the standard route? Um, it depends. Okay. It depends. You know, I, I have to be careful that I don't try to do too much because, you know, I've got too many things going on, too mm -hmm. many balls in the air. Yeah. Um, and I got to tell you guys, I, I, I am a little lazy sometimes. So I, if it's a lot of work, I'll just pay somebody to do it. If, if it's something so custom like that, that, that's just not something people do, um, I'll, I'll find somebody or I'll do it myself if I have a, a little idea like that. Um, but yeah, I mean, if it's fixing the house, you know, or fixing a window or, you know, whatever, I, I'd rather pay somebody who knows what they're doing. Sure. Yeah. So yeah, that makes sense. So what, what, where does your path take you after um, the molding company and working with that plastic company? Well, I really enjoyed controls work, uh, okay. electrical controls. Um, I kind of gotten into what's called programmable logic controllers, PLCs. And those are basically the brains of machinery. Okay. Um, you know, you, you wire sensors into it, you have signals coming into it, and you have signals coming, signals coming out of it, uh, turning valves on and off, um, turning motors on and off, uh, indicator lights on and off, that kind of stuff. Um, so you're plugging these inputs in, and then you've got the outputs. And you're, you're creating the logic that you want everything to happen in, say, a sequence in software, um, and more of a, um, it's called ladder logic. And then you, you create your program in there, uh, based on how you want everything to, to work on the machine. And then you download it in the controller. Um, and I really thought that was cool. You know, I, I think it's cool. Mechanical design is awesome. Um, but I, not to sound like I have a God complex, but I like breathing life into the machine. I like, I like bringing it alive and making it do the things that people want it to do. Um, so I, I really like that stuff. And uh, I just didn't have enough of that in my job plastics company so i moved on to another company that was looking for an application equipment engineer and they're an adhesives company and um so i worked there for nine years i think and i i designed various adhesives application equipment um and they moved me into a design engineering role uh, i did mostly industrial design the first several years and then they moved me into more of a design engineer where i worked on the uh, consumer products lines as well with molded plastic applicators in fact what are some of the products that you were working on specifically? Um, well, one of them, uh, which turned out not to work so very well. Mm. Uh, it uh, involved some real basic components. Um, the, the product, uh, I don't, can I talk about brand names on here? Is that okay? Yeah, yeah. You could, you could cause, you could do whatever you want. It's totally fine. <laughs> okay. Well, they're called glue dots. Um, and I don't know if you're familiar with those. It's the... Uh, Pressure sensitive adhesive. It's rubber based, so it's real flexible. It's like the booger. It's like what the teachers the use. The teachers use to hang up little posters at school. Yes, very similar to that. It's like the booger glue you get in a magazine where you, you pull something out, oh, it's stuck yes. together, and it's real yes. stretchy. Yes, yeah. yes, I know. Exactly yes, what you're talking about. yeah, they would preform that on a, on a release liner, like a, a silicone coated paper, so it just peels off, and it's a little dot, like a little circle. And uh, so I was working on developing industrial application equipment for that, um, automated, fully automated. Where product would come by, 
it would come down and, and stick a, a, a glue dot to it. And then the product would keep going. Um, what was the biggest challenge bit, of that project? Um, probably working with my manager. <laughs> <laughs> he had a very challenging uh, personality. Mm. Um, a brilliant guy, very smart, but he knew it. And, you know, he, he was kind of hard to work with sometimes. Um, but, you know, he, he had patience with me because I was new at this kind of stuff and he did teach me an awful lot, which I appreciate. Um, but yeah, I basically, he had a design sort of already when I got there and we were kind of testing it, but I branched off into something else for a little bit, uh, my own ideas. And we did sell some of those machines, but you know, they didn't work as well. So I went back to his design and tweaked it, you know, a little bit, a fair amount, um, and came up with this, this other applicator, um, and that, uh, that did pretty well. They're still selling them, mm. I believe. Um, I did a lot of traveling for that job all over the place. It was a lot. Where were you going? So much that I didn't want to really travel too much. Oh, all over the United wow. States. I even went to Scotland um, to train a wow. counterpart over there. Yeah, that was a good trip. That was a cool trip. Um, a little lonely because I was by myself, but uh, sure. mm. but my host over there made it, made it more comfortable. Um, yeah, it just, you know, I was in California. I was in... Um, Boston. I was in Florida, um, in the Carolinas, Minnesota. There's my Uber accent, Minnesota. Um, <laughs> I heard that. I heard just that. all over the country. Washington. So, I was out in Washington. I wonder what are some skill sets or characteristics that like as an engineer or as a problem solver, when you're trying to create these products, they're the most efficient possible. What's, what's keeping you going? What's guiding you some like like, is there like a principles of ethics for engineers where you don't get too stressed or too upset at it and you can do it functionally to make sure that you're coming out with the outcomes you need? I think that's that, you know, the stress, that's a, a personal thing. Um, everybody's different. Everybody deals with their stress differently. That's a really good question. Um, it's not really an engineering thing. It, it's a personal behavior uh, that, that, you know, you've developed over time. Um, whether or not behaviors, certain behaviors can lead to engineering. Um, I think my curiosity, that's a good, that's a really good thing to have when you're going to be an engineer. Um, logic, uh, basic logic and deducing things, uh, being a good scientist, observing things, recording things as they are. Uh, that's probably a good attribute to have. Um, yeah, just a real strong curiosity, sure. you know, in, in understanding how things work. You can't really fix things if you don't understand how they work or how they're supposed to work. Uh, from the get-go um, to be you know a, a strong engineer you do need the math and the physics you know you, you need to have an interest in that you need to enjoy doing that kind of stuff and, and a really strong understanding of it um, strong physics background those kinds of things so those are those are some of the you know the core I don't know attributes I would call them yeah to be somebody who's a good problem solver you know and and it's neat. I really enjoy diversity in what I'm doing. Um, and in all my jobs, I've really had a lot of different things in each job that I was responsible for. So, you know, that, uh, that I enjoy, you know, I don't like monotonous. Yeah. I like, I like yeah. doing something, finishing it and moving on to something else, not doing something and maintaining it for the rest of my career. You know, right. Do something, fix something, develop something and, you know, release it and, and let other people uh, become independent with it, not be solely dependent upon me. And then move on to something else. You, how that long? Makes sense? Is that cool? Yeah, oh, that's absolutely. that. Honestly, that 
that makes so much sense, especially <laughs> when you bring up that curiosity point. If you're a curious person, there's mm-hmm. no way you're going to be complacent in what you're doing yeah, and just do one thing. No, no, probably in any field. Yeah, truly, truly. So how many years were you with them? You were traveling all over the U.S. and doing that. This, this sounds like it was a, a, a hefty amount of time. Yeah, I was burning out. Um, that's when they offered me the design engineer position, probably after about six years, I think, five years in that wow. position. Uh, when they when they brought me into the, the design engineer position, um, I did less travel. In fact, uh, we hired somebody as a direct report to me. Um, he was an application equipment technician, and he he was supposed to be doing more of the travel. Um, we had new management come in and they didn't want me on the road at all, which was a godsend yeah. to be yeah. quite honest. Um, Cause I was really getting stressed. So I, I stopped traveling as much. And um, that's when I took on some of the consumer uh, uh, designs, we'll call them just little plastic applicators and such new products. As part of a new product development team. I tested a lot of different adhesive um, different adhesives with, with different properties. That's that kind of thing. So, so How yeah, that testing process I did that for work? a while. Well, I kind of had to make up my own tests. Uh, there are some industry standard tests, ASTM, American Society of, of Test Methods, that, that are out there for testing adhesives. Uh, there were some new products we were coming out with that, you know, we weren't really aware of any. There were some tests for it, but, you know, we, we conducted our own tests to do a comparison to other products. They were like that. Uh, some products that we were coming out with too. Um, I can't really get into the details of it. Um, sure. yeah. you know, I sign non-disclosure agreements, confidentiality agreements with companies. <laughs> Just about every place I've worked since the plastics place, I've had to sign something like that. Um, okay. But you know, it was cool stuff. It was it was new to us. It was exciting. Um, so yeah, you know, you have to come up with a baseline, um, and you have to come up with with something that's repeatable that you can test. Repeatability is important, consistency. And once you have that, you kind of create a baseline and then you kind of measure from that. You know, here's our product and this is what it can do. What can other people's do when I compare it to what our product's doing? Mm -hmm. Um, Some of it was very subjective. You know, it it was difficult. Um, And some people, you know, took it for what it was worth, you know, and that's a subjective test, but sometimes that's all you've got. So, so it, it was, it was very interesting in how we, how we tested things, how we developed things there. Um, but it was very cool, very wow. cool stuff. So where do you, you're getting burnt out or you've transitioned now into this, this more um, executive role that you're, you're in a, a more, you know, settled down situation. Were you ready to move on to a new company or what, what sort of did any, where, where did you go next and what guided you there? Uh, the transition to the new management there ended up being, It was a very, it was, it became siloed, I think, Mm. the structure, the, the uh, interaction between the employees became much more competitive from departments, interdependent or interdepartment competition. Mm. You know, I wasn't used to that. I didn't like that. Um, So I I left. Um, I went to a company that was actually building equipment for us. Uh, I had had a history that, with them since I worked at the plastics place right after college. I went to work there. I did some controls work for them, controls design, controls engineering with the controllers and um, designing 
uh, wiring schematics, panel layouts, you know, those, those boxes that have the door on them. You open them up and there's all kinds of wires and gadgets in there, devices. Yeah. Um, that was the kind of stuff I was designing. Um, and then I'd pass off the prints to uh, manufacturing part of the company and they would, they would build, wire, that kind of stuff. I like that because it's very detailed, very specific, um, very structured. Uh, you can tell there's a, a pattern here with me. <laughs> yeah. um, so I think that's why I've enjoyed uh, my career so much. So yeah, I did that for a little while. Then I moved on to a, uh, a company that makes robotic welding cells. Uh, for the automotive industry um, where you see you see these movies online of these robots coming in and you know sparks flying from the, yeah. the weld process yeah um, and uh, that's what they did that's what they did it was very cool stuff um, I didn't program the robots but I pro programmed everything else in the cell um, any sort of fixturing that had motion to it or um, systems that would pick up a part and place it somewhere else that wasn't a robot um, you know, I, I do a lot of, uh, machines that had weld controllers on it where I would control the, when the weld would happen, things like that. So are, are uh, you programming, screens. are you programming yeah. for this role too? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I'm programming as well. Um, well so great. we would get a project. We'd look at the, what the sales manager had, had laid out, um, with the customer customer gave them their criteria. Uh, sometimes they give us a set of standards I had to work by. Um, it was a project based business you know everything was different every machine was custom um, so that i'd get all this these inputs from you know various departments and customers and um, i would put together you know more of a bill of materials they kind of had a basic one you know what kind of controller what what kind of different uh, interfaces it would have with other equipment so we buy that um, and then i would basically come up with how everything was going to be laid out in the panel what we're going to wire to what how the those wires would be identified um, order the rest of that. Uh, by the time the drawing was done and everything was ordered, um, the things that we ordered first were already coming in. So then they'd start assembling the panels in the panel shop. Then um, once everything's starting to come in, you know, they're working on other projects at the same time too, waiting for things to come in. Then I would begin the program. Um, and, you know, the programs were, were ranged from small to absolutely gigantic. Sure. The drawings would be a couple pages. I, I did one drawing for uh, a work cell, a robotic welding cell that had, I think, 100 pages um, of the 11 and a half by 17 pages. So, yeah, very involved. Um, so I, I would work up the program based upon what the customer wanted. Um, if there was a, a touchscreen associated with it, I would develop the touchscreen, um, how things would be presented, uh, how it would alert operators to what's going on, any alarms on the machine, how to clear them. Um, how to start the machine, how to stop the machine. Wow. Yeah, all kinds of Did stuff you, going on, a lot of moving parts. Was there AI being incorporated at this point in time, or is this something that you're starting no. to see more now? I don't see AI. Um, None. There's no AI integration into any of your workflows or workspaces? Nothing like that, no. These are all, oh. Oh, there might be now in some, some companies. The industrial equipment, it's different. Okay. Um, it's different. Um, it's got a different sort of controller to it than you might have a very processing heavy um, computer with it. Not that industrial controllers aren't process heavy. I should be careful how I lay this out because there's a lot of hybrids out there now. Mm -hmm. Some are PC based. Uh, most are not PC based. Um, 
so the ones that are that are highly PC based can have probably more AI in them than just a you know, programmable logic controller is very robust. Um, it's industrial. You know, it takes vibration. You know, it, it, it sees a lot of dirt. It can. Um, just a lot of, of wear and tear. Abuse. Wear and tear, yes. Yeah. Uh, it's doing the same thing over and over and over and over and over again. Um, re- repeatedly for, for yeah. it could be years. <laughs> so it, it's different. Um, you also have a technical force that is maintaining this. And the technical force can range from, you know, straight out of high school to, you know, somebody who's got 30 years of experience. So troubleshooting these systems needs to be done at a, a level that, you know, somebody right out of ha- high school would have to understand, um, you know, with the right training and things. So, you know, having AI in there in an industrial process might be challenging. I'm sure there are applications, but I, I have not used it. Okay. Um, and I, pro- I, I probably never will in what I'm doing. Um, yeah. That's so fast. I wish I could speak more to it. <laughs> no, no, no. That's, that's, yeah. I'm always fascinated by having people on and seeing it hasn't met their space yet. Will it ever meet their space? Yeah. Um, so what mm-hmm. I wanted to ask, could you, with your skill set and background, could you build like, you know, uh, a gun for yourself? Could you build a table for yourself? Could you branch out just because you're like, like, can an engineer just be well-rounded in the idea of problem solving and creating that they can branch outside of what their specialty is? I think that has to do with the curiosity okay. um, and never being satisfied with, with, you know, always thinking you could do something better. Um, always being curious in how everything works and, and what it is that makes it work. Um, yeah. I, I'm constantly learning. You're true right. believer in lifelong learning. You know, it's not you leave school and you're done learning. You are, you're learning every day. So I'm always interested in, in, in yeah, in learning more. So, I mean, I, I've branched out in different things. I didn't study electronics in college. I didn't study programming in electrical design. That's something I had a great interest in and had the opportunity to do that. A lot of what I've learned, I've just read. Um, I have some PLCs in my basement. Um, that I've, I've, I've used. I built small systems to show to prospective employers who then hired me because I went above and beyond and showed them what my capabilities were. You know, that oh, that's God. passion. Oh, you know? yeah, absolutely. So, so yeah. Yeah. I think it, uh, I think engineers have that, that, that uh, interest and level of curiosity to just try different things and experiment. Did you see a, natural trajectory in your career and workflow that made each project harder at the places you went or did you was it sort of like up and down like maybe maybe while i was working at this company it was really hard while i was working at this company it was really easy like was that natural or did it follow sort of an increased trajectory it increases you know you part of it is salary you know you're not going to get a good paying job if you're just doing simple things yeah. You know, because a lot of people can do simple things, you know, and, and the more you can do, the more value you add, uh, the more breadth of your education and your experiences, the more you can add to a company. Uh, so, yeah. And, and you know, I, I don't think there are many people that are in a technical field like engineering who just sit there and say, yeah, this is good enough. Right. You know, they all you want to be challenged. Um, otherwise, it, it gets boring, you know. So, yeah, I, I think 
I think people who are in, in a field like that are constantly trying to do better, mm. um, trying to make a better mousetrap, um, trying to just, you know, push the limits of things. I mean, that, that's, that's how, how new ideas come to fruition and, and create new products. Sure. When did you sort of, as, as a man realize maybe I want to have a family or I want to go down this route and did it, did you, were you worried about your career? Was financials a part of it? How was that sort of mental process for you? Well, I, uh, for a while, I didn't think I'd have a family or any kids. I was convinced I wouldn't, you know, I, I didn't meet my, my now ex-wife. I didn't meet her till I was 35. Um, I think I was 35. Yeah, I think so. But my friends and I, none of them were married for a long time or even had kids. You know, we, we really enjoyed taking trips together. We liked going out together. We were a pretty tight knit group. Um, so yeah, none of us were really running off and getting married right out of college or anything. You know, we, we liked to party. We liked to, you know, have a good time and we liked having our disposable income, um, to do the things that we like to do ski trips out West cruises, all that kind of stuff, just living life, you know? Yeah. The experience. And, uh, then some of the group of friends started getting married and uh, some started having kids once they were married. I like the, you know, I like the idea, um, but I just never met anybody to, that I really wanted to, to be with like that. Um, when I, when I met my ex-wife, you know, we, we hit it off very well. We flirted on Facebook and uh, very nice. Yeah. We, yeah, we were, um, I think we were talking on the phone and, you know, I asked her out and, the rest is history, as they say. Um, Were you was, worried about being able to provide for a family or anything like that? Or was your career really stable? Were you confident and comfortable where you were at? My career was stable. I was confident and comfortable where I was at. Her career was and is stable. Uh, she's a nurse um, and she's a good nurse. So, you know, she and I, you know, I felt very comfortable in our careers that we could handle a family, that we could afford a family, mm. um, afford daycare. That's a huge cost. I'm not even going to get into that. I can't Um, even imagine. (laughs) Dude, it's, it's a lot of money, especially when they're, when they're babies, they require so much care. You need more people. You know, you can have like, I think four babies per person, maybe in two or three in Wisconsin. Um, Maybe that's a federal mandate. I don't know. Once they get older, uh, there can be more students, more kids per adult. And then the cost yeah. goes down a little bit. They don't require as much attention and watching. Um, they're a little more independent. So the costs have kind of gone down. But anyways, yeah, it's, I felt confident in that. Um, you know, I love my wife and, and, and she wanted kids. I wanted kids. Uh, so we, we ended up having two. She wanted a third. I, I did not want a third. And, and not to get into personal details, but that was, that was an issue between us. But sure. um, yeah. Yeah, do you, I, I, do you like having kids? What is positives, <laughs> negatives? What has it been yeah, a wild experience? Is that even <laughs> has that even been more challenging than even some of your problem solving and engineering work life? You know, parenting is the the most difficult thing I've ever done, but it's also the best thing I've ever done. You know, it, it's the most challenging and the most rewarding. Um, I love my children dearly. I do anything for them. Um, you know. My wife, my ex-wife and I, we, we really try to raise them to be responsible. Um, 
and, and caring and friendly and kind and, you know, good, well-rounded kids. Yeah. Um, Do you notice similarities in, in yourself, in them living day to day? Like, does it ever bring you like flashbacks to yourself or anything? Sure. Yeah. I mean, they, they do things. They're curious, just like I was, you know, they, they love camping. I love camping. Um, they say really cute things. I think, uh, my daughter at one point called a snail, a turtle bug, you know, <laughs> I mean, what a perfect way to describe a snail with a shell, yeah, you know? True. Yeah, literally. Yeah. It was, it was really cute. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's fun to watch them grow. My, my ex-wife, you know, she loves them when they're little and, you know, she wants them to stay little. Um, <laughs> as a, as a, a parent, you know, be, before I even had kids, I knew I would enjoy more watching them grow up, you know, learn yeah. and, and interact with things. Um, I loved them when they were babies and they were snuggly and, and things like that. And, you know, diaper changes and all that good stuff. Do you see them becoming engineers? My daughter could very well. Um, she is very detailed. She's very organized. Um, she asks a lot of questions about how things work. Uh, she likes building things and she's very imaginative. I could definitely see her doing that. My son, not so much. She's, you know, they're just totally different. Um, I do see myself in them. You know, there, there's arguments in, you know, child development, you know, is it genetics? Is it, um, learned that kind of stuff you know there are a lot of genetics to it but they really emulate what you do and what you say mm-hmm. oh yeah you know i'll say something to my son that i'll later hear my daughter say to him you know and some of it's eye-opening like holy crap that that sounds really awful what i said you know <laughs> you know it's a learning experience yeah. sure. um sure. and some of it's really cute you know hearing hearing her say that to him but uh yeah um, yeah, it's it's a trip, man. It's a I, trip. I, it's it's interesting too because we're we're at you know we're we're young men. We're at a such such a different yeah. point in time. But I I do think about this. I'm like, oh, what what would that be like? What would that future be yeah. like? And so it's always interesting to hear from other other men in the world their perspective. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, my kids they're 14 months apart. Okay, you know, and that's would you recommend toddlers. having them that close, or would you would you have split it up more? Do you think? Or if I could have the same two kids, I probably would split it up. But, you know, if, if, if I think that, you know, splitting them up, they'd be completely different people. Right. You know, because that's true. My son would not be my son. He'd be somebody else, you know? Yeah. Just based upon, you know, the, how fertilization happens and, and, you know, the different, whatever. Anyways. Um, yeah. So it, it, it was challenging. It still is, you know, both of them toddlers, um, both of them being in their terrible stages at the same time. It is, it is rough. Yeah. It is rough. <laughs> Some sleepless um, nights and stuff, I'm sure. Well, when they were babies, yes, but just, you know, these these emotional outbursts, uncontrolled, mm. you know, not knowing how to handle their emotions yet. It's just, you know, out of left field sometimes. You know, they'll just be screaming at nothing. I don't know. You know, so it's it's fascinating. Being a single parent now. What's that? It's fascinating to see uh, the young brain trying cope with everything it's feeling hormonally mm-hmm. and just around the world like taking in all the senses for the first time ever mm-hmm. yeah it's 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 fun and it's horrific um i <laughs> i used to joke to people that they were little emotional terrorists you know they 
one minute they're they're happy and giggling and the next minute they're screaming at you because they don't have the right color bowl in front of them you know it's it's yeah yeah so you uh, said you're guess, you're about to transition right into a, a new job actually mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. are you going to be doing similar work there working with uh, boards and and the engineering side of things are you moving into more administrative side of things what sort of what's next for you I like the hands-on. I love the controls. I hate the travel. And that's hard to find now um, because a lot of jobs that are building custom equipment with these types of controllers that are programmable. Um, you're building different equipment all the time. And finding a company that you can stay at locally and build all kinds of different custom equipment is very difficult because most of it's getting built and then shipped off to a customer site. And you're there um, doing the startup, the debug of everything. Um, and that, that can be a very lengthy process. That's why I left one of my jobs because we started a family and there's just too much travel. Um, I worked 19 days straight one time and, okay. and that was a long time. Um, probably 80% of that was on the road. So wow. finding the job that I found, I'm very grateful for. Um, it, there's little to no travel. Um, it's a lot of controls work. It's all machinery that they own and is in-house. A lot of really troubleshooting, but that's fine. You know, I, I enjoy troubleshooting too. Um, so yeah, it's 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 the the technology that I love working with and that I'm passionate about, but no travel. So it's kind of a, I'm guessing it's going to be a good thing. Sure, very good thing. I'm curious. I want to ask this question. Um, you know, I don't know how much you've been keeping up. The Pentagon has been releasing a lot of uh, footage and interactions with UFOs and other unidentified objects and vehicles. Um, from a from a logical engineer perspective, what is your thoughts on into uh, extraterrestrial life? and the opportunity for there to be more than just us inside this entire galaxy and solar system in which we operate in? You know, that's a really good question. Um, I used to be very religious and I'm not anymore. Um, and I, I think a lot about space and what goes on in it and, and that we're this planet here floating around and, and you know, what happened here is very special. Uh, but I don't think it's highly improbable with how large the galaxy, or not the galaxy, the universe is. Um, when you look at, you know, what scientists think the number of, of different stars are, just the number of galaxies, it, it's mind blowing. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and the basic elements that life is made up of, you know, carbon, water, you know, these, these basic things that, that come out of stars, you know, life is formed at the center of a star. You know, these elements, they're, they're being um, fused together. And, and out of stardust is, you know, everything you see around you right now, energy basically compressed together. So, you know, it happens all over the place. And, and is what happened here special? Yes. But I, I believe that it's, it's, it's highly feasible that it can happen all over the place. You know, you, you know, you've got this perfect set and it doesn't have to be, you know, oxygen and, and water, H2O and, and all this other stuff. It could be based on other things, you know, entirely. Um, is light alive anywhere? You know, that kind of thing. You know, you look at the ocean and what things look like in there. And it's just it's such a mind blowing scape down there. You know, it's it's the diver- the diversity of it. In surviving things like that, I mean, you could have a planet that's, I don't know, 100% methane and, and, you know, pools of methane and maybe life develops in there. What does it look like? You know, maybe, maybe there's animals swimming in the air. I, I don't know, you know, so 
I like to use my imagination with that. And I do believe very strongly that there is, there are other life forms out there, what they look like and what they are. Um, right. That that's still unknown. Potentially. Yeah. That's a question. Right. You know, I hear a lot of people say, well, you know, intelligent life would look like us and blah, blah, blah. And they'd have two hands and a head and maybe not, you know? Right. Yeah. You never know. What if it's like a, you know, an intelligent fungi that developed and has its own consciousness. <laughs> yeah. You know, I mean, seriously, what if it's something that just blows around in the wind? Sure. You know, it, it, it's just, yeah, I think, I think the, the, it's, it's the almost possibilities as if, are, go ahead. Oh, it's almost as if it's like naive to think you are the only thing with, with how wondrous mm. science is and the ability to discover. Yeah. I think, I think thinking that we're the only thing here is very anthropocentric. Mm. It's a very man centered, you know, human centered thought. Um, I think it, it's, it's, it's not very open-minded yeah. and I think it's, you know, I just, I think it's, I don't want to say close-minded or small-minded, but I just, you know, I, I really feel strongly that, you know, with science and what we know and what's out there, what we observe, you know, you've got these, we're constantly discovering new planets. Um, and we're looking for the Goldilocks zone, you know, that, that zone away from a star that would have, you know, water, in the form of, of, you know, gas in the form of water on a planet, things like that. Um, you know, we're discovering things like that every day. I mean, there's a reason we have these giant radio telescopes pointed up at the sky, right. mm -hmm. trying to, to look like SETI, you know, those organize that organization. So I, I really think, I really think there is something out there. What is your perspective on the transition and cultural adaption of technology? And what is your thoughts on technology in its current state? Do you think it's a healthy thing for, for people and for consumers, mostly talking in the definitive world of social media and that type of technologies? Um, how is that relationship for you? It's funny you ask that. I just, I don't, I'm not on Facebook anymore. No. Um, I, I was on it for quite a while, um, a lot. And you know, it's, it's consuming. You know, it, I want to I be more present with my kids. I want, I want to pay attention to them. I want to be with them. I want to experience them. It was interfering with that. Um, I have a little bit of an obsessive personality. So, it, I mean, it was, it was not healthy for me. I've seen some document, documentaries, documentaries about you know, social media and what it does and, and how the, the algorithms focus on things. And it's scary. It's very scary. Um, it's manipulative. Um, you know, they know what you're going to do before you even do it. You know, and, and yeah. it's, it's not good. Um, it's not healthy. You know, there's, there's, there are good things when you're, you're looking at somebody and, and with them and experiencing them and talking to them and, and just being with them. It, it's, it's, it's the natural way things have been for millions of years, you know, truly sitting there and staring at a phone all day long or your computer, your tablet or whatever you're using, you're basically turning yourself off to what's going on around you. Um, I've been practicing mindfulness. I don't know if you've ever heard of that. Yes. I do a lot. Of, I do a lot of studying of uh, meditation and other practices. Mm -hmm. Lately I've been doing myself Munditi, which is a study on the contemplation of joy um, and mm -hmm. happiness and positivity for both others, people you like, people you don't like yourself. Um, but mm -hmm. 
yeah, I would be very curious to hear how mindfulness has been present in your life and how you're adapting practices of it for you. Well, I think social media is the anti-mindfulness, <laughs> you know, <laughs> the truth. Yeah. You know, it, it really is, you know, you're, you're, you're disconnected from what's going on around you. You know, you're not experiencing the air temperature or, or the sounds that are around you or just life. Mm-hmm. You know, you're not living in those moments. Um, you're basically distracted from them. So, yeah, I, I think disconnecting from that, you know, social media, Facebook, I'm not on anything else, you know, on um, LinkedIn. I, I don't really use it very much. Sure. But yeah, just getting away from that and practicing the mindfulness, you know, I, I feel more peace. Um, mm-hmm. I'm practicing, I, I'm, I'm um, being kind to others. Um, I'm trying to realize what I have and, and be more, have more gratitude towards it, feeling fortunate, um, you know, opening my eyes up, you know, I also realize I'm privileged and those kinds of things, really taking a hard look at myself, you know, so I, I guess we're a little off the social media track, but I, I think social media has its place, but I think it is overused. I think it is used solely for marketing now. Yeah. And I think, uh, I think disinformation is, is a real problem with it right now you know it, it's something new you know we this is something new in the last what 10 years yeah 10 mm-hmm. 15 years yeah so there's a lot of uncharted territory technology changes so rapidly that you know regulations and laws can't keep up with it you know it really opens up questions about liberty and and freedoms really? which is liberty but you know it, it's yeah i have i have great concerns about it in the future how do you handle uh, technology and your children and parenting? What is sort of your principle and ideology in that? Uh, I don't ever show my kids my phone. Um, they can look at pictures once in a great while. Sure. Uh, they don't have access to a computer, a phone, or a tablet. Um, and they, they watch TV. Mm-hmm. Uh, they do. You know, it, it's, it's kind of a, a nice babysitter once in a while, sure. you know, and, and my ex-wife and I, we've always been on the same page about things. And one of them is what they watch. You know, it, it, it needs to have some aspect of education. You know, what are they learning? Well, they can rattle off dinosaurs names, you know, Diplodocus, um, all kinds of different, you know, Tyrannosaurus Rex. I mean, my, my son's favorite animal is a T-Rex. Um, just Yes, it's it's great. They watch a show called Blippy. And on Blippy, Blippy they talk. Have you I, heard of Blippy? No, no, but I love the name. <laughs> yeah, it's this guy. He he's dressed in this, you know, very colorful outfit with suspenders and a cuff, colorful cap. And um, he talks like he's talking to, you know, three or four year olds. But he talks about, you know, um, excavators, dump trucks, um, front end loaders, you know, stuff like that, tractors, you know, and the kids eat it up. Yeah, that's the kind of stuff I'm okay with them watching. Sure. Um, I think they get about an hour and a half in the morning of watching TV when they're home. And uh, they get to watch a little bit after nap. And then, um, yeah, they're done watching it by dinner. No TV after dinner. No TV before breakfast. That's great. Limiting that blue yeah. light in the afternoon and evenings is yeah. super yeah. very good. Yeah, the blue light, that's one of them. You know, it gets them all revved up. 
entirely. But, uh, I, yeah, I, I, I I'm, myself with tons of insomnia just from yeah. going to a college and having technology and not having someone to tell you you have to turn it off at one o'clock in the morning. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, it's yeah, it's kind of a learning curve there. Entirely. But I, I'm very protective of my kids with things like that. You know, I've read I've read the articles, the studies, not the studies themselves, but you know people who discuss the studies of, of what they find with too much input from electronics Truly. and that sort of thing. And, and yeah, I, my ex-wife and I really believe in them learning things by playing, mm. you know, being outside in nature, doing things. Um, they like to camp. They want to hunt with me someday. They want to go fishing. Oh, they want to go cool. skiing, downhill skiing with me someday. You know, they want to do all that stuff. Nice. You know, they play out in, in the, uh, in the front yard. There's a, it's not a flower bed. It's got some bushes in it, you know, and it's, it's, separated off from the grass there's little stones in it sure. and they play in it you know they pick it up they shovel it you know my, my daughter finds these little um quartz rocks in there and she calls mm. them crystals or, or jewels or something like that mm -hmm. you know they use a lot of their Im imagination we don't tell them how to play um they we let them play and use their imagination there's no structured play i like um, that they do that at school, you know, they got structured projects, craft projects and learning letters and things like that. That's great for school. Um, but yeah, at home and, and having fun, you know, they get to do what kind of how they please with, with playing. I wanted to go into more of the outdoorsman world now that you're um, an older gentleman. I think for us right in our current age and current state, not saying that you're an old man or anything, not trying to go there, <laughs> but I'm, I'm getting up there. <laughs> sure. I, I am too. I can't wait. I'm yeah. the day I start graying is the day I am stoked. I can't wait. I think I'm going to look good with a great beard and everything. <laughs> it will be a thing. Um, yeah. But with hunting and being outdoors, how has that relationship sort of changed as you um, age and become more mature in your thought process and how you're processing the world? You know, when I was younger, it was cool to hunt. You know, I, I, I liked guns, you know, mm -hmm. and I don't think I really grasped the relationship that I had with nature and the natural world. Um, as I grow older and I see how, and I experience and I see how things are interrelated in the cycle, the real cycle of life, you know, um, it, it, I process it differently. I consume it differently. Mm. Um, you know, you're growing up the law, just discussing the laws. Well, you don't want us to do this stuff. They're buzzkill, blah, blah, blah. You know, rain on my parade. You know, my, my brother, my brother calls me the warden. Um, there's a little joke between us. You know, I, I'm, I'm very strict when I'm out in the woods hunting. Sure. Not because this is the rule we have to follow, but because the rules are there for a reason. Yeah. You know, they're, they're there to ensure that, you know, what we have in nature will be there later on for other generations yeah. and other people to enjoy. You know, if everybody went out there and could shoot a deer, there'd be no deer left. You know, there'd be nothing left. Right. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, in, in realizing that, not just you have to follow the law, but the reason that it's there, um, you know, I, 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 I use that too. That's why my brother calls me the warden, you know. <laughs> it's um, a great nickname. Funny story about that. We were out shooting on uh, public land one time, just target shooting, and up, up drives a ranger. And he gets out and we're like, oh, this is okay, right? And he said, oh, yeah, you know, be safe. You know, pick up all your all your targets and your shells and everything. So we're like, cool. Um, and my brother tells him, I literally call my brother Warden Reed. 
And uh, the guy laughs a bit and he's like, hold on. He goes in his truck and he comes out with this little Ranger pin, you know, DNR pin and gives it to me, you know, for no me kidding. to use. Yeah, like a little, <laughs> a little pin that you put on your, your lapel of your, you know, your, your suit or whatever with a little backer to it. Yeah. Yeah. Ordinary. That's sick. Do you still have it now? God, I think I do. I don't know where it is. I have to look <laughs> around, but uh, yeah. Yeah. So interacting with nature now is, is I have a more, I have more appreciation for it. Mm, truly. I, I, you know, hunting used to be like, I gotta get this, you know, I gotta, we're not bringing anything home. You know, if we don't get anything, you know, fishing, oh, I'm frustrated. We're not getting anything. Now yeah. it's like, I don't really give a shit. Yeah. I just want to be out there. I just want to experience it. I want to smell the smells. I want to, I want to see, I want to feel the rain. I might be out in rain. As long as I have rain gear on, I'm not freezing or severely. Yeah, you could perform an Alaska hunt. No problem then. Me? Uh, no, I'm way out of shape. <laughs> okay. All right. I get that. Way out of shape. But yeah. Tons of tracking. Tons of just mount, mountainous terrain, hiking. Um, yeah. That's, that's the bush Yeah, up there. So Do you have any you know, dream hikes yourself or dream, I'm dream hunts. Sorry. Not hikes. Yeah, I would love to go to the Dakotas and do some coyote hunting. Oh, ooh, that, um, that sounds cool. My brother and I have tried coyote hunting, but we've never gotten anything. Mm. Um, you know, the coyote in Wisconsin, they're very weary of people, and they really are only out at night. Um, and that could be the, could be set up. Sorry about that. Can you hear us? Yeah, I can hear you fine. Yeah, that's all right. Okay. Oh man, that was so bad. Our Wi-Fi went out. That's yeah, right. Main Wi-Fi cut out. I was going to so ask you if you guys paid your internet spot. bill this month. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well. Yeah, we're at the office. Apparently, all week though, there's been issues. Yeah. With it. Yeah. Well, whatever. It happens. Technology. Right. So uh, we were leaving off with the. Uh, was it South Dakota for the coyote? Hunt? Yes. Yeah. No, I, I would really enjoy doing that. I think. Um, my brother would too. Uh, and maybe we can do it someday. Now. Um, I don't know. We'll see. That sounds brilliant. So do you, uh, do you harvest during every portion of the season? Like do you do birds then deer, then, you know, squirrels and move on and so forth? Or do you just primarily do deer? Or? Um, we do a little bit of everything. Um, Wisconsin has obviously a healthy deer population. Uh, so we, we do deer hunt. I didn't the last year, um, because work was so crazy busy. Um, we a couple of years prior to that, just with the kids being so little. Um, and I, I didn't really like leaving my, you know, their mom alone with them like that, just because of they're very, very energetic kids, you know, and I explained before, they're very small, very young. So it's, it's a lot to handle sometimes. Um, but yeah, uh, this last year we were going to go, I didn't go because of how, how busy work was and how much was going on with the projects that I had. And uh, we, we typically go small game hunting, which would be squirrel or a grouse, a rabbit, those kinds of animal, upland, upland game animal or upland game birds and, and small um, rodents, I guess you could call them uh, with the squirrels. But yeah, we, uh, we turkey hunt as well in the spring. Now we have, I think, almost every year for the last maybe 10 or 12 years. Um, we tried coyote hunting in the winter. Uh, which, you know, we, like I said, we never had any luck, uh, but we did see a lot of sign of different animals. And that's where we got the idea of turkey hunting because we saw a lot of turkey sign. And that's when we decided to start doing that. Um, the summer, there's not really much to hunt in the summer. Um, so we don't, we don't do it then. 
we we love the outdoors we love hunting we just we don't do it a lot you know just because of yeah. you know where our priorities are in life um now that i'm divorced uh the agreement with my wife is 50 50 placement so she has the kids 50 percent of the time i have the kids 50 percent of the time and now that it's set up that way i'm finding that i have more time to go out and do the things that i like to do like that um, once i'm caught up with you know the, the household duties and, and things like you know mowing the lawn and all that good stuff um and that's that's kind of why i was able to take that trip that i met chris um yeah yeah i had i had some days How was that interaction it was, it was it was different um you know, I, I was on the way out of my trip, you know, out of the lake and paddling up. And I, I saw these two guys standing there. And as I was paddling up, they kind of, they did the fist bump. And I'm like, great, what does that mean? You know, they're both looking at me and they're doing fist bump. I'm like, is that ominous? I don't, I don't know what to think of that. So then I, you know, I paddled up and came in on shore and yeah, you know, we just kind of talked and I told them about the site and what I had experienced and that kind of thing. They had some questions and I found out they'd never been there and yeah, we, we talked a little bit and they mentioned they had parked up where I had parked, which was quite a distance away from uh, where the, the, the kayak launch was, the boat launch. Because um, it was kind of a, a weird way to get back. They're real hilly, rocky, sandy, um, really okay. needed four-wheel drive and, and, and a vehicle with a lot yeah. of clearance underneath. I have a pickup truck, so <clears throat> with four-wheel drive. So, but I didn't know how to get back there. So I had to, I really had to hike my my kayak back there. And it's not it's not a light kayak, it's a fishing kayak. It's about a hundred pounds empty. And I had my pack with all my camping gear, you know, fishing rods, um, tackle, all that stuff. So it was a chore to get it back there. Um, so, you know, they were kind of asking me about information about the campsite that I was just at, but I needed information about how to get to my truck to drive it back there. So we <laughs> yeah. seemed like yeah. a, a win-win for both of us. Uh, for that, for uh, uh, Chris and Jason and myself. So, you know, we talked a little bit more and they, you know, they had taken a different trail to get back there, but, you know, we, we had both ended up in kind of the same spot originally when I got there and when they got there, which was the wrong spot. Um, I knew kind of how the road went, the, the gravel dirt road. Um, and they kind of did too. So we made our way back. We hiked back from the spot at that kayak launch. I didn't even know there was a kayak launch there. Um, wow. So it was an wow. easy way out for me. I didn't have to portage again, yeah. plus hoof my canoe. I don't know how far it was. You know, it seemed like yeah. a long distance because I had so much stuff. Um, so we all hiked back up to, uh, to our vehicles. And uh, I was like, well, I'm going to drive down there. And they've got all their stuff. And, it, you know, they said their car can't make it. So I was like, why don't you guys dump your stuff in my truck and I'll drive you down there. Yeah. So we, we, you know, they packed their stuff in my truck and I drove them back there and, you know, they unpacked all their stuff and I loaded my kayak in and yeah, it was, it was cool. It was, was history. I talked the ears off all the way back while we hiked back to the cars. I think that's why he asked <laughs> oh, yeah. if I wanted to be on here. <laughs> yeah. We were all talking yeah. and, you know, trying to at least get to know each other yeah. for the short time that we had. And yeah. And yeah, I was super excited that you agreed. Yeah. It was cool. That's and you were staying at the site that they were wanting to stay at, correct? Yeah, that last night I was there. I, I arrived on that Wednesday in the afternoon, and I, because of the ridiculous way I went, you know, I, I had a pretty pretty good trek ahead of me. So I got to my campsite that Wednesday early evening and set up. Um, Thursday I was there. 
Thursday night I was there and Thursday morning I was there. Then I went back kind of in the direction that I came from so I could be closer to my vehicle so I could leave on Saturday morning. So Friday I went to the site and I stayed there. And then when I came out on Saturday morning, that's where I met them and they wanted to go to that site. Yes. So I kind of gave them the rundown of what it was like. No, nowhere to sit, but a nice uh, fire ring and lots of firewood, uh, which was weird. Yeah. <clears throat> so they went out and got, I think they went up back into town and got some seats. Um, you know, I hadn't seen any bear, but turns out they found a giant pile of bear shit and had one growl at them from the woods while they were hiking out. Yeah. Yeah, that was a crazy. That was a, that was actually our welcoming. Yeah, uh, <laughs> our welcoming Holy to the to cow. the site as we heard a growl. Yeah, I was concerned. We were to, yeah, well, we were trying to find the 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 trail to the boat launch, and we completely missed it. And we kept going, and we were on the north tip of the lake, whereas the boat launch is in like the southern middle portion, and uh, so we had to backtrack all the way down. And then by the time we we met with Reed, we had to have walked, I don't know. I mean, it's probably probably a mile and a half to the boat launch from the main road. Yeah, so we probably at least four to five miles <laughs> before we even found what we were doing. And then yeah, because you guys yeah, you guys through. walked back to that gate, right? Yeah. Yeah, that's how far I had yeah. walked back or I drove back. Um, and trying yeah. to get my kayak, I have a little kayak cart, so I loaded everything in there, trying to get it down some of those trails. They're like little trees saplings growing right in the middle of the trail oh, yeah i dumped the kayak over and all my shit fell out of it onto the trail oh, so i was like forget this i put it all back in there walked the kayak back to the truck and loaded it and then i went back to where their car was parked too um yeah i was concerned about you guys you know hearing that the bear had growled at you and you know you didn't have like bear spray or anything i i really thought <laughs> yeah, like, i asked him too <laughs> Yeah, like you have a gun, bear spray, anything. No, I had my cute little pocket knife, and that was about it. And I was going to read. What's that? We saw you had your. We had because when we met you, you were all geared up. He had his kayak. He had his uh, fishing vest on. He had all his gear. He had a big forty-five pistol or uh, revolver on his hip. It was like, oh yeah, we're set. We're good now. <laughs> yeah, I, I had bear spray. I had uh, it's a, it's a four fifty four revolver, which is a significant. Okay um cartridge uh yeah, it's, it's damage for sure yeah it, it's a good uh gun for defending a, a large wild animal um i would want to hunt him with it but for a last resort yeah i had uh, yeah. i had a bear bell um i was telling them wow. when i was out at my site <clears throat> i was all alone i didn't see anybody from wednesday until friday morning when i went back into the big lake for my last night you know i'm out there I felt ridiculous. I'm like, go away, bear, go away. You know, I'm clapping my hands and stuff every <laughs> once in a while. Yeah. Um, and by by the time I went back to the the bigger lake for that last night at the site they they went to, um, I I just like, why am I doing this? This is silly. There's there's no bears out here. But then when I came up to the boat launch and they're standing there and they told me the story, I'm like, holy shit. <laughs> like, know? I'm happy I did that now. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, and we talked loudly the way all the way back. Um, yeah, but I was really concerned about you guys, and I, because where you saw the bear, it's not that far of a hike to where I was camping the first two nights, or to where you guys were camping that second night. You know, when I really thought about it, um, you would really have to just cross where that portage was and come around a little bit, and it'd be on your site. You know, and you guys had food and stuff. I had really seriously considered yeah. giving you my bear spray. Um, mm. 
and maybe asking you to give it back to me on your way back down uh, 41 towards uh, when you're in Oshkosh to Chicago area. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah, sure. But, you know, I, I was like, you know what, Reed, they're going to be fine. You know, they're out here one night. Um, yeah. Everything will be fine. That was a pretty quick, yeah. Yeah, so. Yeah, it was a quick trip. But I was, I still thought, I'm like, I, I wonder how those guys did. That's why I text you. I'm like, how'd you do? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I should have just scared you and not answered for a couple Yeah. Days. <laughs> put in parentheses oh, no. i'm dead yeah right. yeah this is chris's friend responding yeah but yeah, yeah but was, jason was, uh yeah. jason does say hi oh. uh, i told him we were doing the podcast today cool. so he was all excited hi back jason so shout out to jay yep yeah cool there you go He'll hear that. yeah that <laughs> i want to ask sort of as we as we yeah as we're getting closer here to the end what is uh what's your five ten year trajectory look like for yourself like, what do you want to do with the next five, 10 years? I want to, you know, help my kids with school. Uh, they'll be going to public school. My daughter will be starting uh, 5K in a year. Um, nice. I'd like to be a big part of that. I'd like to be a big part of, you know, the activities they want to start doing. My daughter's very interested, you know, the, the little gymnastics classes. And, of course, she wants to do ballet. Um, you know, my, my ex-wife and I have talked about it. And it sounds like we're just going to try to direct her or push her into one, which one does she really want to do? So I'd like to get involved in that stuff. Um, what my son wants to do too, you know, does he want to do, you know, kitty league baseball or, or whatever? Uh, he might want to do dance yeah. too. He might want to do ballet. I don't know. Um, he likes doing what his sister does, which is fine. But yeah, I, I, I see myself being very involved with them. Uh, career wise, I have no interest in management positions. I have my MBA, um, but I have no interest in being management. Um, I used to want my own company, not interested anymore. So yeah, just kind of doing the same thing I'm doing now, uh, maybe bigger projects. Um, I just put an offer in on a house that was accepted. Um, Congrats. Oh, yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Congrats. My lease is up. What's that? We're in a pretty hectic market down here in oh. Illinois. I'm not sure if it's the same for you or. Oh yeah. Um, Wauwatosa, which is where I live, I probably shouldn't be announcing that. But um, yeah, it's it's a crazy market here. A house goes up, and within a day, it's gone. Holy cow! Yeah, uh, I I was looking pretty hard for about a month and a half, two months, um, and I had found a house I liked. Uh, it didn't go through, but yeah, it was crazy. Um, so I found this other house. It's in a good area. It's near where the kids will be going to school. It's right near, you know, the interstate. So I can go to work real easily and come back. Um, I can go up and see my brother and my parents real easily. Uh, not too far of a distance. And uh, yeah, it needs work on the outside. Uh, the inspection is on Tuesday. So hopefully we're still there is the point of why, why I'm discussing this. Yeah. Yeah. Right. <laughs> um, yeah. That'll be the third time I'm moving in the last year. So I would like that to be the last time for a while. Yeah, yeah. really. Still yeah. Some roots. Yeah. I like to still be doing these kinds of things, uh, the, the outdoor stuff, the hunting, the fishing. Um, I got to tell you, I, I kind of feel crazy for having did what I did when I met Chris, you know, I'm, I'm 44 years old. I'm out of shape and I go up into the wilderness where there's nobody. Um, I had very little <laughs> cell reception. You know, my mom was very concerned. She's a worry wart, but yeah, she was concerned. That is true. Um, yeah. I ended up getting this little Garmin, uh, I think it's called I InReach. 
It's got the SOS button on it. You can do satellite messaging okay. and things like that. Because if I were oh, to get cool. into a situation when I'm doing something like that, that could that could really be a problem um, yeah. by myself. So, yeah, it was kind of crazy that I did that. But I would like to do something like that again. Um, yeah. And, and several times. So I don't know if I'm doing things like that by myself when I'm 54 or not. <laughs> but, you know, <laughs> yeah. we'll see. Yeah, that's kind of where I see myself. That's awesome. Yeah. I love it. How about you guys? We all. That's a good question, Chris. You want to go first? It's, what was it? the same question? Yeah. yeah where you see oh man, I don't know. I you know pretty similar to you, Reed. Honestly, I I love the outdoors, and I would love to go hiking and backpacking, hike or um, camping. Just being outside more, I I really enjoy. I took a backpack class in college. Oh nice. Um, it was just an extra. It was like a three week course, but um, yeah, it just it, it actually made me realize that. Like I miss doing that sort of stuff because mm -hmm. I went on a couple <clears throat> camping trips with my and stuff when I was younger, but it was just at that point it was something I had to do, you know, because mm -hmm. I'm with my parents. So it's just like whatever, tag along. But now it's like now that I'm, you know, an adult and uh, you know, independent, I can choose when to do that. And actually, the weekend after uh, I met you, Reed, we went camping again, just uh, my girlfriend and I. Nice. And, uh, yeah, it was it was a fun time. You know, I, I look forward to doing that sort of stuff in the future. Good. Nice. Yeah, for me, I I guess I sort of see myself keep continuing my podcast, doing this. I love interacting, meeting new people, and like just having the experience of getting to understand different personalities, understand different outlooks on the world, understand that same thing that you were sort of having with your mindfulness, where like being more conscious and aware allowed you to have a greater appreciation for your personal life and a greater appreciation for all the other things that you're doing with this show. The more I get to meet and interact with other people, the more I become extremely grateful for having the opportunity that to even speak or have my hearing or have vision to be able to connect with other people like this. Mm -hmm. So I plan on, I guess, continuing to define my own path with communication and with uh, the ability to interact with other people like this. And then, you know, finding finding new jobs and careers that align with that. And so like right now I work with my brother on our businesses mm -hmm. and that's, mm -hmm. that's been really, really exciting and fruitful to, you know, help people out, but also have a new opportunity for networking and leveraging the show. Um, but then, you know, settling down and doing some of these things that we talked about, you know, having my own family down the road, uh, yeah. there's still so much traveling that I want to do that I haven't gotten to do yet. So I think I'm thinking through my twenties, um, backpacking. Cause I think also that would bring a unique perspective to the podcast. If I'm just traveling around the world and just having random interactions and just getting to experience what it is to, to be a nomad for a period, that's sort of what I see in the short term. And then the long term, I guess I, I weirdly lately have been fascinated with the idea of joining the FBI. <laughs> like really? retiring and yes. Cause I love, I like, I like data. I love analyzing. I love making correlations and connections and I love human interpersonal communication. So if I could take the best of both of those skills and become some type of agent or field agent or, or helping out with something in a country that I really believe in, in the principle and how it was fostered and founded and help that mission in a way that I think is both intellectually inspiring and curious and curious for both me, but also in a way that can help out, you know, a greater picture. I think that sounds really interesting. Yeah, that would be interesting. I knew a guy in college who uh, wanted to join the FBI and he was a criminal justice major and real stand-up guy. He had his pilot's license and everything. Um, and he, you know, they even did a background check. They were interviewing people, his roommate, uh, people in his life. Yeah, and uh, yeah, we, yeah. He, he wasn't accepted. 
um, he didn't get accepted in, into the, you know, the academy or whatever they call it. Um, I don't know what, what he did later. I'm not trying to discourage you. It's just, you know, it's interesting, you know, what people want to do and what leads them there and why they want to do it. You know, and your reasons are much different than his were. But I, I think that's really cool. You know, it's a, it's a worthy, um, worthy service of the United States, a worthy law enforcement uh, service. Um, yeah, I think they do great things. They've done some not so great things too, but you know, I mean, that's, that's how they learn. That's how they develop policy. Mm -hmm. Uh, but, but yeah, I, I believe in that, in that agency and I, I, I wish you the best of luck. I think that's awesome. You're welcome. Yeah. Thank you for asking that question. No one ever really uh, switches the role. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Kind of threw me off. <laughs> threw me off track a little bit. <laughs> no, that's all right. You know, I, I listened to your other podcast uh, with Will. I think it was he's the outdoor. Ah, he's a yes. he's an outdoors uh, enthusiast. Yeah. And uh, I really enjoyed that podcast. Um, yeah, but I noticed you guys didn't really talk much about yourselves. So I, I thought I'd, you know, throw some questions back at you here real quick. I appreciate. Yeah, that, that is cool. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, well, I I feel like. Uh, on this note, it's a, it's a great way to end it. I, I wanted to ask, did I already ask if you have one piece of advice you can leave for anyone who's listening right now, whether they're young, whether they're old, whether they're in their midlife crisis, whether they're discovering what they want to do for the first time, what is mm -hmm. one piece of advice or wisdom that you would want to leave for anyone? Um, don't give yourself up along your journey. Don't abandon who you are to get ahead or to you know, blend in or, or whatever, just, you know, don't surrender who you are for anything. I like that. Yeah. That's a fantastic sentiment to wrap us up here and read. I, I thank you tremendously for your time, your wisdom and your stories. And You're welcome. Uh, hopefully maybe we could, we could run this back or even, you know, run India camping in Wisconsin sometime yeah. here in the future. That'd I think cool. it'd be cool if we were to maybe uh, schedule some sort of trip together. That'd be fun. That'd be cool. Yeah. I, I would definitely be interested in that. Well, thanks guys. I appreciate you inviting me on here. It's been a great experience and uh, yeah, I wish you guys the best of luck. Cool. All right. Thank All right. you. Appreciate you it. Take care. Talk to you later. Bye-bye. Peace.